The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good morning, and thank you for joining host Cheryl Esposito for an intriguing hour of Leading Conversations. Each week, Cheryl brings together big thinkers to the Voice America Business Channel. Now here's your host, Cheryl Esposito. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Esposito. Today, we have a very special guest, a new friend of mine, Lee Cockrell, who is a former executive vice president of operations for Walt Disney World Resort. Now, that is no small job. Now, Lee is a well-known and well-respected expert in the field of leadership, and he's going to teach us about some of the nuances of being a leader in an organization that is all about the customer. He has been writing proficiently and really giving us some of his secrets away, which we're very grateful for. Wait till you hear some of them. Um, And the next book coming out, we'll tell you about that in our last segment. Lee, welcome to the show. Hi there. Good to be here. Good to have you here today. Where are you today? I'm in Orlando, and it's gorgeous. (laughs) <laughs> well, isn't it always gorgeous in Florida? Well, July and August is less than gorgeous, so oh, we well, stay in the house a lot. <laughs> <laughs> That's when you're very grateful for that thing called electricity. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. So, you're, now, you were you always in Florida, or did you live somewhere else when you before you started working for Disney? Oh, I've been all over. You know, when you're in the hotel business to get a promotion, you had to move. So my wife and I moved 11 times. I worked for Hilton eight years, and we moved all around. And and then I worked for Marriott for 17 years, and we moved all around. Then I got recruited by Disney and got to move to Paris, which made my wife really happy. And uh, then we came back to Orlando in 93, and I was running Disney World Operations here till I retired. Yeah. Well, now, that's interesting. So going from uh, one multinational, well, two multinational companies to a third, and then living in Paris to start Disneyland. Was it Disneyland or Disney World over there? It's called uh, Disneyland Paris. Uh-huh. What, what was that like? Let's talk for just a few minutes about that, because I know people are curious. Um, having been a child that grew up in Disneyland, and um, really it was always one of my favorite places to be, uh, you know, I, I know that there are a lot of people on this planet who have the same feeling. Was was working for Disney different from working for Hilton or Marriott as companies? I think uh, I would. I've been asked that before, and I think working for Marriott and uh, Disney were fairly similar in uh, kind of the management style, the leadership style, including your people and listening to them and showing high respect for them. But certainly, the entertainment slant at Disney was a whole new ball game for me to understand that. You're putting on a show every day, and everybody has a role in the show, and mm-hmm. there are backstage people and onstage people, and just that philosophy helped. Me. I wish I had earlier in my career, and I would have probably been better 
performer at uh, Hilton Inn uh, in Marriott. So, yeah, yeah, it was great. That whole, that whole concept of, you know, everybody having their part and really being part of an ensemble, um, you know, I think organizations try to teach that through the whole concept of teamwork. It seems like it doesn't always fit. It doesn't always work the way you want it to work. What do you think was different? Why, why did it work there? Well, in my book, Creating Magic, you know, the first sentence is it's not magic that makes Disney World work. It's the way we work that makes it magical. And, you know, I tell you, organizations I speak to all over the country and all over the world, actually, with workshops and all this kind of stuff, and I tell them the same thing. They can do this, too. And there's just kind of three principles that I think about are the most important, and enough people don't pay enough attention to them. One is make sure you're hiring the right people and promoting the right people. Be extremely clear about your expectations. Raise your expectations. Uh, make sure people understand uh, uh, what they what the expectation is before they join your company. So there, some people won't want to work there because we are pretty strict in how we do things. Just like any Broadway show, you got to do your part. You got to do it every right. day. And then second is training, and then testing after the training to make sure people learn, and then enforcing the training. And this is so many managers close an eye. They don't want to deal with the hard discussions and stepping in and saying, no, here's the way we do it. And and uh, so you don't get a great show. So I uh, say hire the great people, promote the right people, train, test, and enforce the training. And last, it's about the culture. Let me tell you, culture is not part of the game. It is the game. You get the culture right where everybody wakes up in the morning and wants to come to work versus have to yeah. come because they're respected and Included and involved and listened to and trained and developed and have opportunity. And those are three simple things. Simple to say, hard to do, because it takes a lot of. Uh, you got to be. You got to really uh, be on top of your game, and you've got to be serious, and you've got to uh, really expect excellence. And uh, when you do that, you get better performance. You know, I, I think what you say is so important because it's not only about having the expectations; it's about being willing to stand by those. And I see that in organizations a lot. You know, as a consultant and an executive coach, I see one of the downfalls of organizations being that they talk about expectations, they talk about excellence, they talk about serving their customer or their clients. And oftentimes where they fall down is when things don't go the way they want them to do, there are no consequences or there are no processes in place to really make sure they learn from that. Is that part of the element of this? It certainly is, and it's for parents too, you know. I tell people if you want to be a good Good leader, a good manager, manage like a mother. Mothers don't care if you're happy. They care if you're successful. So they'll kick your little rear end and then tell you they love you and kick you again in the morning because they want you to be successful. And they love you. And if you respect your people, you're going to have those same hard discussions. You're going to deal with tough issues. And, you know, it's for them. It's not for you. And shame on you if they fail because you don't have the responsibility or the guts to step up and do your job. You know, I tell people, if you don't want to do these things, don't become a manager. Don't become a leader. You're going to mess people's lives up. And, uh, yeah, it's a serious business. You know, again, I love that because I I think that we don't give enough credence to the concept that we really are, as leaders, affecting people's lives. We are affecting who they are in their career, but also who they are as people in the world. 
Well, you're affecting their lives and you're affecting their children's lives. I mean, yeah. you just think about the power you have when you lead people. You can either make their life better or worse. And some of those uh, better is having hard discussions and training them and holding them accountable and that they have a few bad days when they're not performing so they get better. And it's just a simple, another simple thing. And I think the, one of the big problems in the world is people don't want to do the hard things. Right. You know? And when you do hard things, life gets easier. When you do easy things, life gets harder. So it's, a, uh, it's an interesting concept. That is a very interesting concept. So what was one of the toughest things you've ever had to do as a leader in your career? Oh, I think it's always having to deal with people, uh, whether it may be a termination or that's kind of always the hardest part, is, and especially when they're at a very high level or when they're in a tough situation. You know, they've got health problems and finance problems at home, and they're not performing, and they're, we kind of call those good people who are not making it happen. They don't fit, and you have to deal with it. That's the hardest, I think, always is having those human interactions, which are not a lot of fun sometimes, and uh, mm-hmm. a lot of tears and a lot of anguish, and yeah, that's no fun. So that was yeah, hard. Absolutely. 9-11 was hard, you know, at yeah, Disney. Yeah. So everything got hard quick. But uh, how, was yeah. that? how was that for you guys? Talk about that a little bit. Well, I was uh, sitting in my office, uh, 8.45, my wife called. She was on the... I-4 interstate. She said a plane just crashed in the World Trade Center, and I was saying, oh, yeah, sure. That's happened before, a little plane. I walked over to my boss's office. We turned the TV on, and about that time, second one, and then we sat there. I said, we better open the command center, our emergency command center. There's something going on here, and then the plane hit the Pentagon, and we opened the command center in 30 minutes, evacuated all the guests from the parks, and in barely 90 minutes, we had everybody out of the parks, back in their resorts, back in their hotels, uh-huh. taking care of them, and uh, then we went about figuring it out. We reopened the next morning after we figured out what was going on, And uh, but it was... You know, it was a good day and a bad day. It was a bad day for what happened. It was a good day because I saw our cast members step up and stay cool, calm, collected, handle the guests. Nobody ran away. They were worried about doing their job. And so, but the following weeks were tough. We lost 35% of our business. Reservations canceled right and left. Nobody would get on an airplane. It was very hard. So, pretty tough go. Well, and there's also that element of, um, I know that I saw people having this experience where they they felt guilty about doing anything that felt like fun. It was well, like, absolutely. Wasn't okay, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. And so many of our guests are from New York and New Jersey, so there was really uh-huh. panic to get back. Uh, and yeah. uh, it was it was pretty pretty amazing. Yeah. And how did you, as an organization? help your employees to manage themselves and manage their own emotions through this. Yeah, we're pretty good at that. Our the leaders at Disney World are I would say they have a we don't have people on our staff that don't display good leadership behaviors, empathy, uh, trying to get to know each cast member as an individual, uh, dealing with those kind of people have problems every day, you know. So we're not used to, we're used to people having problems. We got 72,000 yeah, employees yeah. at Disney now, cast members, and there's always something. So we're pretty good at handling those, and uh, we uh, certainly made exceptions if people needed to go to New York, get off or be off, or were emotionally distressed for a while. Same thing during the hurricanes in 04. We had four hurricanes in one month. 9,000 wow. people, 9,000 cast members couldn't go back to their homes. 
And uh, we put them up. We put them in hotels. We put them in our hotels. We rented rooms. We took care of them. Uh, we took care of them for a long, long time and got them back on their feet. So we're kind of there through thick and thin with the cast, and that's why they stay pretty committed. That's why when you come down in here, you have a good experience because uh, right. I think they have a good experience working here. Yes, yes, absolutely. So, you know, I'm noticing, how long have you been away from Disney now? Well, I I I worked 42 years. I retired in 06, so it's been eight years. But I have a contract with Disney. I still do a lot of work with them for uh, their Disney Institute Educational Division. So I'm over there a lot. And uh, actually, I'm going over tomorrow to see some people, and I give a lot yeah. of talks over there, and I talk to a lot of convention groups and seminars. So, And my son's right. vice president at Disney Hollywood Studios. Oh. He, he's been uh, with Disney 23 years since he got out of Boston University back in 91. Even after he told me he'd never do what I do for a living, he's doing exactly <laughs> what I did. But he said that when he was 14, which proves 14-year-olds don't know anything. But, uh <laughs> Yeah, so he's there, and so I, I I have a lot of Disney, and I see a lot of Disney people. Right. So That's when right. you live in Orlando, you can't escape. Well, it's true, it's true. But I notice that you very lovingly refer to them very much in the we and the our, and the, you know, it's, it's nice yeah. to hear you feel a lot of ownership, you know, still in that organization. Oh yeah, yeah. So you have um, two books that I just think are wonderful. I'm sure your next one's going to be great, too. Um, the first one you wrote, Creating Magic, 10 Common Sense Leadership Strategies from a Life in Disney. Um, you know, what made you decide to put what you know in writing? Well, for many, many, many years, I was so had such a lack of self-confidence, I didn't think I could ever write a book, get it published, or anybody would read it. And then uh, one day, a friend of mine was. I wrote a newsletter for Disney for years. It went out every Friday to all sixty thousand cast members at that time, and people loved it. There was a lot of recognition, appreciation in it. There was a lot of safety issues. There was a lot of guest letters complimenting people. So I got so much feedback, I started to think. So I sat down and wrote a two hundred page manuscript, and then uh, and uh, a good friend of ours is a uh, international agent, book agent, literary agent in New York, and she read it and said, I think you should publish this. And I said, no, I need a, I'd have to get a publisher, and that's hard because there's hundreds of books every day coming out in the U.S., and everybody has a book, and everybody's trying to get a publisher, and okay. publishers throw most of them away. And she said, I'll represent you, and we uh, got it We got it done, and uh, we got five offers from five, and we gave it to Random House. I was lucky with Random House because the editor had just come back from Disney with his two little daughters, and he loved Disney. So <laughs> it was good timing for me. And the book That's was done very well. It's in 14 languages. And uh, then Random House came back to me just a couple of years ago and said, we'd like you to write another one on customer service. So I did, and that one's out there in about 10 languages now and even came out in Russian recently. So I think yeah, really? Putin needs to read it. That is great. So that's so how it happened, that- and you know, it shocked me that it was did so well. And, and in fact, I get a lot of good feedback. People say, you know, I learned something from that book, and uh, that's kind of. The, I told people after I retired, I said, I'm tired of being the boss. I'm just going to be a teacher now. And when you start <laughs> teaching, you do, it's a lot more satisfaction. Uh, well, but the goal here is not, is to help leaders have satisfaction too, right? Absolutely, you know, and I think uh, I get it. I hear back from mothers and fathers, and helps them think about their personal life too, not just going to work and 
You know, how do you get your life, keep your life com- under control? I mean, this is, and so many people are having so many problems these days with the stretch of time and email and getting to the soccer game and picking up the pizza and get, I mean, it's incredible. People are really stressed out and uh, they need some uh, kind of advice, I think, on how to get it more under control. Absolutely. Well, we're going to talk more about that when we come back with Lee Cockerell. Hi, Dr. Sprite. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexasaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. Game-changing technologies and strategies are transformational, exciting, and disruptive for a reason. They shake up your status quo. They get you thinking about new ways to scale, compete, and grow. They move you in amazing new directions. You're invited to take your coffee break with Game Changers on Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time for our special series on today's top HR trends. Learn how you can become the savvy HR innovator who takes your company across the finish line as you look ahead to the future of work. HR Trends with Game Changers, presented by SAP on the Business Channel. What do business and sports have in common? Both are based on competition, and the goal of each is the same, to win. If you're in business, you need an edge over your competitors. You need to innovate and improve. You need to make adjustments to stay ahead of your competition. Tune in to The Business Locker Room with Kelly Riggs. Get the playbook and the coaching you need to improve your business performance. The Business Locker Room airs live every Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl. Now, welcome back to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Escobedo, and today we're speaking with Lee Cockrell, who is the author of Creating Magic, 10 Common Sense Leadership Strategies from a Life at Disney, and The Customer Rules, the 39 Essential Rules for Delivering Sensational Service. Okay, Lee, so you were talking about how people these days have so much on their plate, they're so stressed out, they're trying to be everything to their kids and everything to their organizations, and you have some thoughts about that, you know, how do you, how do you help them to be different, to be less stressed, to kind of get a hold of their lives? Well, I'll tell you, I learned it myself, uh, early in my career, I was uh 
getting it all done. I was reliable and getting good marks from my bosses, and they loved me. But I really looked back. I was taking work home. I was coming in on Saturdays, Sundays, coming in at the break of dawn, staying at night. And I went to a time management course around 1979, 1980, and I really learned. I'm already a disciplined person, but I learned a system to put into place of how to think about my day, how to think about what I'm working on today, this week, this year, how to think about the important things that are really matter in your life that sometimes you have to do them now, but they don't pay off for 10, 20, 30 years. And uh, so I practice those, and I've been teaching time management for about 35 years. I've probably taught it to over 100,000 people, and I saw people get results because main problem you got to manage your life just like you manage anything. Keep it under control. And uh, most people have had no training in high school or college. They don't teach this. And this is where people get in trouble in their lives. Not that they don't know what to do. They just don't get it done. And they, they don't have a way to think about it and to understand how time goes by so quickly. And you're going to have big regrets one day. And so... I uh, kept working it, and then I wrote up a document that I used at Disney to teach it, and then finally I wrote the book. And I said, "This and um, publishers were telling me this book's going to do well because this is where people are. Everybody knows what they're supposed to do; mm-hmm. they just don't get it done. You know, uh, and people don't take care of their health, they don't take care of their relationships, they don't uh, take care of their marriage, they don't take care of their meeting with their direct reports at work. They, they, and I said the most important thing you can think of, I think, really." is how you spend your time. How do you spend it at work? How do you spend it at home? What should you be doing? What shouldn't you be doing? Where should you be spending your time? Where shouldn't you be spending your time? And why aren't you doing it? And people you sit, people sitting around playing, playing Candy Crush and for three hours, you know, that's really going to help your career. You know? <laughs> so, I mean, I'm going like, what? And uh, I think deeply about how I spend my time. And that includes if I don't want to do anything, then I plan not to do anything on Saturday. So it's just having more top of mind, uh, you know, thinking about it. Uh, you know, if you don't, if you exercise now, it pays off later. If you save your money, it pays off later. If you don't eat too much food every meal, it pays off later. Relationships pay off later. You know, it's amazing. And a lot of them don't pay off for 20, 30, 40 years, but you got to do the work way back when. So that's how I think about it. I think most people don't even have a way of thinking about it. They just think they're overwhelmed and they got a lot of excuses. And so yeah. it's sounding like um, you're also, you're helping people to understand the whole concept of what's a goal and, and how do you set a goal and then how do you, you know, work to that and how do you focus your time and prioritize. The other thing that it sounds like you're also giving them some perspective on um, not just specific goal achievement, but more about the bigger picture. You know, what are you overall trying to achieve in your life, in your family, as a leader. So, so helping them to kind of see the 30,000-foot level as well as the 5,000-foot level, is, is that true? Yeah, I think we try to make sure that they see that they not to underestimate what they can do in their life and not to see obstacles as obstacles, but just detours. And when you get to them, here's a way to think about them. You can do them yourself. You can get help people to help you. I mean, there's a lot of ways to solve problems without just giving up. And... Um, if you give up, you're never going to get there. And uh, I think time management's just like any other course you take in college. I mean, if you took a course, you can learn to do this. You're not born yeah. this way. This is yeah. a uh, habit that grows, and uh, 
maybe you didn't have I, I think a lot of parents you know my mother was a very disciplined person that's why we, I have a lot of discipline in me my mother was a terrorist before they identified him I mean she made us walk the line and uh, so uh, yeah and uh, some kids don't get that discipline and have a job when you're a teenager and have to get up and be at work at six in the morning and get right. things done and not get fired and, and I, I think this whole thing too I put in there you know kids who work as teenagers are more successful they have that discipline sure. Sure. and so many parents today don't have their kids doing that and then they yeah. wonder what happened because the kid gets a degree from Harvard and can't get a job or can't yeah. keep a job yeah, yeah but it, is, it is fascinating to see the generational differences um, in terms of expectations in the organization um, you know when, when I consult organizations and I and I hear leaders you know who are maybe in their 40s and 50s saying I don't get it these kids, quote-unquote, they want to work. <laughs> they don't want to actually have to be here. They don't want to have to be on time. They don't want to have to have a schedule. And, and I'm fascinated that it's not just one or two people they're talking about. It's, it's, you know, a bit pervasive. And so do you think that this is going to affect our um, kind of the, the success of the country and the success of the organizations in the country? And, and do, you, uh, do you see this all over the world? I have people, we talk about that a lot, this young generation and how they're different. And, you know, I said a lot of people in my generation were not very effective either. And every generation's got the great people and the good people and the average mm-hmm. people and the yeah. poor people. And I think we've just got to, I said, you, we got to learn to work with them. That's all we got. And uh, we've got to, you know, they do approach work differently. They want balance in their life. They don't want, they've been through divorces. They don't want to have that life again. And I see it with my own son who's 45. He wants a life. And uh, and uh, so I think they'll do a great job. I think uh, if you treat people as individuals and figure out how to work with them and they'll get their job done and talk on their phone all day. I mean, that's just the way they're raised and uh, we're going to have to figure it out and we need to be more positive about uh, you know, and the thing, they want to be involved early, immediately. Yeah. And yeah, if you yeah. don't take care of them and care about them and involve them and respect them, they'll quit. And uh, so, yeah, we've the older generation's got to start to treat people as individuals and not just expect everybody to do it like they did. That's not going to happen. Mm. I worked I worked too hard. I worked at to a fault almost, ambition to a fault. I was gone day and night, not home a lot, and I look back on that. I don't have huge regrets, but I have some. Sure. And, you know, and I hear this a lot from people who, um, you know, become mature in their career or move into doing consulting, et cetera, and some of what I hear a lot of is, don't do it the way I did it. And, (laughs) right? And so the, the... question I have around that, though, is so it's easy for someone who has made their success, who has become highly financially successful, who is able to make some choices in their lives, you know, these days, to turn around and say, well, do it differently. And, you know, how do you, uh, you know, how how do you just really help them be different and yet still have a level of the success that you have. Yeah, I think it's not so much that. I think one of the problems is, you know, I think back in my own career, I was working all the time, but when I got home, I wasn't paying attention like I should have. You know, I mean, uh, instead of turning the TV on, I should have left it off and <laughs> talked to my <laughs> wife. 
And, you know, or when my son, you know, I traveled a lot with Marriott for 10 years, and I asked him once, I said, I got better at it by the time I got to Marriott. I asked him, I said, do you remember me being gone? Did, did we do a good job raising you? And he said, yeah, I don't remember you traveling at all. But that's because every night I talked to him, and every Saturday uh, and I spent the whole weekend with him and my wife. I didn't play golf. Yeah. You know, and it's not so much just being around. It's uh, how you're focused. And uh, a lot of people are home every night, and their kids don't believe they're really there. So you got to really think about the impact you're having in the space you're visiting at the time. Mm-hmm. Even in business, when you walk into a room, do you pay attention to everybody? You know, mm-hmm. and... Uh, Leaders have got to pay attention. They got to wake up, and they and got to understand that uh, they're making impact, and mm-hmm. people are watching them, and you're affecting people. And uh, yeah. luckily, I got a good son who's well balanced and doing well, and I see him treat. He's doing it for his kids. They eat dinner when he gets mm-hmm. home. Not there's no set time. We have dinner together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? So sometimes they eat at eight or nine or ten o'clock at night because the family knows that eating dinner together is more important than what time you eat. So it really builds the family, being together at the dinner table. And there's a lot of research on that, that the families who eat dinner together, those kids get, have far more success and get in less trouble going forward. Yeah. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Although, how do you keep a kid up till 10 o'clock at night if they're, you know, eight you up Anyway, that's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, a lot of them do. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, my wife, when my son was a baby, I worked at the Waldorf Astoria in New York. I got home late, and she put him on my schedule. She said, a baby's a baby. They don't need. They can sleep whenever they want. They need to be here. So I'd get home at 9.30, 10. We'd, she'd feed him then, and we'd have dinner together. And I look back on that as I thought that, wow, that was uh, – but babies don't know what time it is anyway. So then there is a problem, some problem with that as they get into school school days. Sure. You know, I think that – Five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. But by the time they get to eleven or twelve these days, they stay up. Teenagers yeah, forget yeah. it. They yeah. do their thing. I know my grandkids don't go to bed till eleven o'clock at night, and uh, and there's not much you can do about it. They're nineteen, sixteen, and thirteen, so they live in a different world. So let's talk about the hospitality industry. How do you think it's changing? What What do people in that industry need to be looking? forward to, like in the next 10 years? Well, certainly a lot of constituents out there that are different ages that expect more. You know, I go to some hotels today, and it's so complicated. The technology in the room, I have to call down to see how to open the drapes. And uh, and then they got all the devices where you can't, you can't set the alarm clock because they've made it so complicated so everybody can put their devices in it and play them through the speakers and the television is getting the remotes on TVs are getting so complicated half the time you can't turn the TV on and uh, so uh, they need to get that straight because it's got it's supposed to be convenient and uh, a lot mm-hmm. of it's getting way too complicated but I think uh, I, I wouldn't get bored with the basics if I was hotel companies you know the basics of you know friendliness cleanliness reliability taking care of you if something goes wrong, fast, everything's got to be fast these days, fast check-in, fast room service, fast service in the restaurant, everybody wants fast. And I would focus on fast, friendliness, cleanliness, courtesy, the old basics, <laughs> you know, the old basics. And that's well, hospitality. You know, the definition of hospitality in Greek, there's a word, it's hospitality is serving strangers. Get really good at serving strangers. And we can all learn from that in our own lives. Even people on the street, we could do a better job of being nice to them. 
Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I think that as we move more toward this global society and the expectations of different cultures begin to meld a bit, um, you know, the the way we treat strangers somehow is different in different cultures. So what is it that you help people understand when they are entering new cultures? Well, first of all, I go to a lot of countries to give speeches, and I make sure I do a lot of research before I go. I just came back from Kuwait. So I went on the website and saw, you know, which hand to use and how to shake hands and who, and you don't kiss women and you don't do this and you don't do that like you might in America. And so I was pretty well versed by the time I got there to uh, not show a lack of respect for their culture. And I had a great trip. And, uh, you know, I even went to Iraq in 2011 to do work for the military. I did 13 seminars in Baghdad in the green zone and uh, making sure all all the stores on the bases are run by the Turks. And I studied up on them and how to deal with them and how to to greet them. And and I think every culture, you've got no excuse today. Just get on Google and you can learn all you need to learn. Take the time again to learn where you're going so you don't, so you get the right relationship when you get there and you get supported and you don't offend somebody. The biggest problem is people who don't pay, don't respect the culture of another person, their religion, their sexual orientation, their whatever, disability, um, yeah. yeah, education level, language, and, uh, yeah, as we say, a smile goes a long way in every language. That's so true. So, you, so, gotta... so you were in, you were in Iraq. That that's fascinating. And the the military wanted you to go to teach people who were essentially serving the troops, right? Is that is that? Well, we did. Now, this was actually the troops I I saw, but I visited with the Turks running all the. In literally Burger King and McDonald's and Sandwich oh, okay. Subway, they're all there on the base. But uh, no, this is soldiers. The main reason the general wanted me to come and do it is that most of these soldiers have been from uh, reserve units out of Idaho, Texas. They were there for a year, and they have to go back into the workforce. And one of the uh, biggest problems that soldiers are finding is getting into the workforce and finding a job, and a lot of them come back some emotional issues. and. So I talked to them about how to do that, and I talked to them about depression, too. I went through it with my wife when she almost died a few years ago, when I had to get treated for a year and a half. And, boy, that was a shocker. I'd never been depressed in my life. And I was able to tell them, because most men don't go in for help. They don't go see a psychiatrist. Most women will, but men, you know, we we can fix everything ourselves, which we can't. So it was a great, they really appreciated that, I think, that, uh, the honesty about depression and about how to yeah. meet people when you get back, how to make relationships, yeah. contacts, and uh, those kind of things. So it was fascinating. I flew to Kuwait, and they picked me up and flew me into Baghdad, and it was, wow, I was just blown away. Yeah. I bet. So, you know, we're going to talk more about this when we come right back with Lee Cockrell. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. 
leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. It's time to take charge of your own career path. But how do you get started? First, tune in to The Career Confidant with Marie Zimanoff. Each show will feature national business leaders, tips and insight from Marie and her guests, career management tools, and a weekly career smart tip. She'll help you move forward, earn that promotion, get hired into the career you want, and brand yourself. The Career Confidant is broadcast live every Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Tune in to the soul of enterprise, business in the knowledge economy with co-hosts Ron Baker and Ed Kless. Ron and Ed will show you how to recognize that wealth is created by intellectual capital. It's all in the possibilities that we can create and that are created for us. These possibilities are destined to be discovered by human imagination and through the service of others, creating a brighter future for all of us. The Soul of Enterprise is heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Business Channel. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl. Welcome back to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Esposito, and we are speaking with leadership expert Lee Cockrell today. All right, Lee, so you talked a bit about your experience in Iraq with the military. I think this is fascinating. So let's see. Do you think we could apply these rules and these concepts to Congress? Well, I've been asked that so many times that uh, I I said to somebody once, I think some things can't be fixed. I mean... (laughs) The problem with Congress is we got these too many egotistical people who are not serving anybody but themselves and trying to get reelected. If you go to work every day and you only think about manipulating people to keep your job, you're not going to be a very effective leader. I mean, you're just not. And and I think it's a system which is uh, certainly broken down. It hasn't always been this bad, but it's become this bad now. And uh, I uh, I would tell you, I personally, I wouldn't walk across the street to meet my congressman or my senator. I don't have any respect for them. I don't have any regard for them. They're not working on the really important things. They're just... Uh, yeah, so I don't know. I'm not sure. I mean, uh, we have well, a time in our... Country where it did work and it's not working very well now. Well, you know, and that reminds me of a point you made in your book about having your structure, your organizational structure, support the culture that you want to create. And so when I think about, you know, what's not working in politics, you know, how, and we have that structure of the election processes that requires people to have people like them to vote them in. Um, you know, it sounds like the structure. And the processes need to change. 
What, well, what I think we've got a country so divided, the uh, population, you know, you got a hundred million people that are so conservative, they uh it just it's incredible. And you got yeah. another hundred million that are so liberal, it's incredible and and uh, you know, I was a Republican for many years. Twenty years ago I became an independent. My wife just left left the Republican Party after forty years as a Republican because mm-hmm. of the extremes. Yeah, uh, because you know, I think I'm a uh, fiscally I'm a cons- I'm conservative, but as far as social program, helping yeah. people, helping poor yeah. people, medical care, we're probably leaning to the left. And uh, yeah. we've we've got to you know in life you got to figure out how to do both. You got to figure it's out how true. to you got to do it in your family. You got to take care of your family and take care of your finances. I mean, That's people true. and families figure it out. And sometimes it's hard. And sometimes you can't buy the new car. And sometimes you can't live in a house. You got to go in an apartment. And sometimes you and we make we make those individual choices. But uh, right. I think uh, it's a very uh, it's uh, very strange. <laughs> well, and politics. But what you mentioned earlier about, you know, if you don't want to make the hard decisions, don't get into leadership. And, and you know, it, it seems to me that um, for years, politicians have refused to make the hard decisions. Um, I remember that when, uh, in the U.S. anyway, when a lot of decisions began to get put on ballots for people to vote on, you know, should we do this or should we do that? And, you know, on the face of it, it's like, well, you know, it's nice giving people a voice in that. On the other hand, you know, we elect leaders so that they will make the hard decisions and won't simply do what gets the most money thrown at it, which is what's happening with a lot of these initiatives, um, in order to get, you know, supported or voted down. And, you know, so how, what has to change in order for leaders to get the guts to be a leader in politics? You know, it's a cultural thing that's happened and it came slowly. And, you know, culture takes a long time to change. I don't know how it'll go down this direction, you know, of getting back to a more balanced uh, approach of not having this total anger at each other. And this, yeah. I mean, it's it's just uh, an amazing thing. But it'll take a, you know, it could take 100 years to get back. I mean, it's... Uh, Kind of like uh, any environment, any culture, they get worse slowly and they get better slowly. You got to just decide which way you're going. And mm-hmm. you know, we saw. Um, I just, I, I get asked a lot of questions, and I can easily answer most of them. This is one that I find extremely yeah. difficult. I don't know the answer. Yeah. I know in my own life, uh, when I've been in situations at Hilton, I was not happy uh, the way I was being treated and led, and I quit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, you made a and then I yeah. at Disney, I got or Marriott, I got passed over for a huge promotion, and I quit. <laughs> so, yeah, not staying yeah. in an environment where I have to give up my personal values, and yeah. uh, uh, somehow, I think many congressmen and senators go in with the right attitude, but they get sucked yeah. into that that big yeah. black hole of uh, right. if you don't do it, you're out. Right. Yeah. So, right. I wouldn't want to be in a job just to have the job personally. You know, I would find that kind of, if I had to not live my value, what, how can you live like that? But uh, they do. They seem to do it. They think they're pretty important. Nobody else does. But uh, the people who are raising money and trying to get their bills passed and the lobbyists, and there's a small group. I think the average person in America wouldn't give you a nickel for most of them. So 
let's talk about entrepreneurship because it's a big deal these days with a lot of um, startups and a lot of a lot of money being pushed in that direction. Yeah. You know, it's um, it's fascinating to watch this evolve. A lot of what you've talked about in terms of having people care about their work and their job and who they're serving and what products they're creating is a lot about the way entrepreneurs often feel about their work and what they're creating and the product they're developing, et cetera. They feel ownership. And you're talking a lot about people wanting, you know, needing to feel ownership. So tell us your perspective on this generation of entrepreneurs, you know, that, you know, people talk about people who don't want to have, uh, requirement by people in organizations, entrepreneurs really aren't a fit in big organizations. Uh, absolutely, and I can tell you I've experienced both sides because I worked all those years in corporate America, big organizations like Hilton, Marriott, and Disney, and then I retired in '06 and started my own company. I've never been happier in my whole life. Uh, yeah. You know, just I wake up in the morning, I deal with who I want to deal with, I do what I want to do, I make a lot of money, uh, I make people happy. My wife said my face relaxed the day I retired. You don't mm-hmm. realize what kind of stress you're under in one of these places where you have to walk the line and behave perfectly. So I think entrepreneurs, it's going to be more and more of them. I think we're going to see more and more of that. I think companies are going to learn to uh, give up some of the authority and uh, let people have more uh, more authority themselves and make it a little le- more flexible in the workplace. I think we see Google and some of these companies making it more. They're, they're figuring out a way to get the work done and to let the people do their thing. And uh, it'll come. It'll, it'll, you know, things become relevant. They will adjust. Companies will adjust because they won't be able to find anybody, so they'll change their approach. They'll change their way. I'm right. working with a group now out of Tulsa. We started a a website for uh, entrepreneurs. It's called uh, www.thrive. T H R I V E the number 15.com, and it's we're putting up 1,200 videos on how to get a bank loan, how to write a business plan, how to hire people, how to fire people. A lot of entrepreneurs have great ideas, but they don't necessarily know how to do it. And That's right. The, the, you know, the legal part and the real estate and franchising and all of those things. And that's become pretty popular. We're seeing people, you go in and you watch a 15-minute video about how to do something, and this video tests you three times during the 15 minutes to see if you're learning yeah. it. And kids are very, uh, you know, they like video. And they like about 15 minutes of concentration. So that's why we right, made it 15 minutes. Right, right, After right. 15 minutes, they want to go do something else. So there yeah, is a whole new market brilliant. coming for more and more entrepreneurs. And I think it's, uh, you know, it's a huge 20, 30 million entrepreneurs in the United States, maybe more. And uh, they're out there with great ideas and making it happen. And uh, so, yeah, there's people that belong in big business. And there's people who ought to be an entrepreneur because yeah. we're going to be a whole lot happier. I really like the idea of this 15-minute, you know, learning session. And how did you get involved with Thrive? Actually, uh, they contacted me. Again, they read my book. And uh, one of them read it, and he was starting, he's kind of an entrepreneur. He started many businesses in his life, and he asked me if I would uh, participate in recording 40 or 50 videos on different subjects around leadership, management, and customer service. And I said, sure. So they came to my house and filmed me for three days answering questions that you and I are doing right now and giving perspective. And then... uh, there's many people who are doing it. I mean, we've got a real estate expert. We've got a lawyer that's done it. We've got a banker that's done it. So when you go to that side, it depends what you want to uh, learn. 
and it's a, a subscription. I think it's about forty bucks a month or thirty-eight or something, and you have full access to it. And for every person who signs up for it, we give a free one to a military person, a veteran, or somebody getting out of the military because they really need it. And so it just happened. Like you know, I tell you what, anymore. I, Things just happen. <laughs> so I'm always about connections, relationships. You meet one person, next thing you know, you meet somebody else. And and actually, the guy who's working on publishing my next book, I met him through the Thrive organization. So who knew? You know, life is pretty connected. That is pretty interesting. But I love that because, it, in a way, it's a bit about creating magic, right? Yeah. If you want to go on that site, put in the promotion code MAGIC, and you can have a free 30 days to check it out if you see if you like it. Oh, so it's thrive15.com, and the promotion code is MAGIC. That's great. And it's free our... for a month. That's great. That's great. Yeah. So, so let's talk a little bit more about those connections and relationships, um, because I, I think, you know, in the business that you and I are in, we talk to our clients a lot about the concept of it's all about relationships, it's all about the way you handle things, and you know, for years I have said to my clients, stop writing emails. You know, if you're in the same organization, walk down the hall and talk to people. Um, pick up the phone when you want to solve a problem and just hear, let your people hear your voice. You know, let yep. people who you work with actually feel that you're a person. Um, do you think that technology is getting in our way a bit? It's getting in people's way if they let it. Yeah. Go to Starbucks every morning at 6.30, 7.30. So anybody who calls to meet with me, I just show up there. So I meet with everybody, and I can tell you, so many times that little meeting some college student turns into a big piece of business years mm-hmm. down the road when his father has to be the CEO of some place. Um, yeah, I just uh, I that's why I'm talking to you today. I like to talk to everybody. I like to get to know everybody. I'll meet with anybody. I'll talk to anybody, and it pays off. Not that I expect anything, but somehow things happen. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't know people. Nothing's going to happen, and uh, you got to get out there. Somebody told me at Disney once, it's not fair to you. Got to know somebody to get promoted around here. I said, no kidding. So get to know people. <laughs> Good to know may not be fair, but it's the way life works. Well, and, you know, how do you teach your kids that? Well, I think you, by example, frankly, um, with our son, we took him everywhere we went. Uh, when he was a little boy, when we had a party, he was there. Uh, we, uh, I think you just, you, you got to expose your children to other people, to other races, travel when you can afford it. You know, travel, going to different countries, learning, learning a language. Um, you know, I saw our son took Latin, and now he speaks French. He speaks Spanish. It really, his kids all speak French and Spanish, and you know, and it just exposes them. Except my grandson said he was at GW University. He said, "I love speaking this French." I ran into a girl, and I speak French. It really pays off. Oh, great! That's great. <laughs> I love- spoke French, too, which uh, just gave him another up, you know, the little thing you can add and exposing your kids and education's everything. But uh, yeah, that's what you yeah. just keep teaching them even when they don't want to learn. you got to keep pushing it. Making those hard decisions, right? Yeah. yeah. We talk, we, that's what we say about Disney World. We say it's the happiest place on earth or else. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> All right. Well, your new book will be coming out in January, Time Management Magic, How to Get More Done Every Day, Move from Surviving to Thriving. I can't wait to see it. So we'll have to have you back next year when you are traveling the world and talking about your book. Um, I know people are going to want to know about you and more about your books and how to reach those, get those, and how, how can they reach you? Well, you can do it two ways. You can Google me, and you'll get Gazillion, because I've done so much now that it pops right up. My website pops up, Lessons in Leadership, it's called. Or you can go to my website, which is Lee Cockerell, C-O-C-K-E-R-E-L-L.com. And on my website is my phone number and my email address, and I always answer my phone. If you answer your phone, you get more business, by the way. Unless you're teaching people. You don't answer your phone in the seminar. I know that. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're really appreciative that you were here today, Lee. It was really lovely to hear your story and to, you know, really appreciate and understand the importance of relationships and connecting and the concept of service, because at the core of this is the concept of serving others. And thank you so much for being willing to serve us and all of our listeners today. It's been a privilege. Okay, you take care. Keep in touch. Thanks, Lee. Now, remember, everyone, to think big, because the world could be a better place because of a conversation that matters. This is Cheryl Esposito. Thank you for spending this hour with Cheryl Esposito and Leading Conversations. You can listen live every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you have a question or comment for Cheryl, please email her at leadingconversations at alexaconsulting.com. That's L-E-A-D-I-N-G-C-O-N-V-E-R-S-A-T-I-O-N-S at A-L-E-X-S-A-C-O-N-S-U-L-T-I-N-G.com. See you next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.